Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Jim, we've got to talk. Can we talk? I've been following this He Gets Us advertising campaign. And so when CNN did a little story about it this week, I started to pay attention because this is newsworthy. First of all, it's newsworthy, mm -hmm. but there are so many aspects here and it's just, it's so rich with conversational uh, import that I think we, we've we got to talk about it. We've got to talk about okay. it. Okay. Have you seen these ads? Uh, We have to talk about it. We definitely have to talk about it because we've, one of our target audiences, one of the people we really want to reach is an audience called the Duns. Yes. And they're going to come up in this conversation. People who have left church, they haven't given up on Jesus. They've given up on the, the institutional church okay and and I, when when we do these programs if there's anybody i could say that's close to my heart this is one of the two primary audiences for me we think very carefully about people who have a libertarian view of the world uh oriented more towards voluntarism and we have a very uh heavy uh orientation towards people who've given up on the hierarchy and the institutional rules of systems especially the church and yes. we talk openly uh in our production meetings about the Duns, right? We, and I am one myself. Uh, I suspect you are as well. Yes, There's so yes. many of us out there right now who have just had it with the politics and the, the superstructure and all the other, you know, the begging for money to keep the roof patched. That there's one other reason that this is. There's one other reason this is really important, and that is that the, this is a large advertising campaign that has really hit the culture. Uh, so we are sitting here taping this pre Super Bowl. Super Bowl is not aired yet. I watch NFL football games and every single NFL football game that I've watched this season, they have tons of commercials and those commercials, th there's never been a game that I'm aware of that's been on all season long where this, the, the ads from he gets us have, uh, failed to run. They've been in every one. And we now know that they have made two Super Bowl buys. They are going to be on the Super Bowl twice. And <clears throat> the Super Bowl is the most watched television show of the year. It's everything else huge. It's it's yes. enormous in terms and of viewership. secondly, there are a lot of people who that will be the very first football game that they have watched all year, right? Because it's a social event. You know, it's it's one of the major holidays in this country. There are times that you need to go to church, you know, Christmas, Easter, and the Super Bowl. And so when people are going to go to do this, they're going to, there's going to be a lot of people that now will see these ads for the first time. And this is significant during this program because it's the only show you will watch all season where the ads may be more interesting than the events. Sometimes the game's a blowout. People stay tuned in to watch the ads. The ads are something that gets discussed as part of water cooler conversation on the Monday and Tuesday following the Super Bowl. So, uh, this will be the first experience many people have with these ads that haven't been watching football all season. 
and they definitely are a cultural commentary and maybe an important mo moment uh, in the history of the American church. Well, some segment of the American church. Let's be honest about church that. Church attendance <laughs> is down. Church, church attendance, attendance is, is way down. It's crazy Across the board. Okay. It started for the mainline uh, Protestant denominations first, who secularized, secularized and socialized the gospel. They yes. took a lot of the heavenly and spiritual content out of it and turned it into a social gospel, uh, meaning it was a, a club for good deeds. Prosperity, Christianity. Uh, that comes along next. And that's the televangelist move. But then you have the churches become seeker sensitive. The evangelicals become seeker sensitive, the conservatives. And now they are getting routed. Uh, their numbers are collapsing. They're about 30 years behind the mainline, maybe 40 even, the mainline Protestant domination in terms of their decline. But that decline is happening right now. And more people than ever are saying they're not even sure if they believe in God, but they definitely, definitely in larger and larger numbers do not believe in what's going on at the church. So this is a, uh, this advertising campaign, this is very obviously focused on Jesus. Jesus is the one who gets us. And um, if you're not interested in Jesus, these ads don't speak to you. However, people who watch NFL football and everyone who comes along to the Super Bowl for campaigns is in the audience that these ads are intended to speak to and with. Uh, yep. Shall we take CNN at their word and, and roll them and then we can you know, yeah, I think the best way to go about this is CNN did a, a story on this, and we should talk about their story because I think that sets up many of the necessary conversations to have around this. So, yeah, I would love. Can you just run the clip and maybe stop it at, at important junctures? Let's do it. Here we go. All right. If you're planning to watch the upcoming Super Bowl, you'll likely see a few ads about Jesus. CNN's Tom Foreman looks into who is behind the He Gets Us campaign and why some are calling this a PR stunt for right-wing politics. There was this controversial figure. Everywhere he went, people challenged him. The message is stark, arresting, and backed by $100 million. That's how much organizers say is behind this campaign to market Jesus as a patient, loving, inclusive cure for our divisive times. With the tagline, he gets us. Jason Vanderground. We're trying to unify the American people around the confounding love and forgiveness of Jesus. Yeah, I, I you know, this is to me, this is a noble goal. And I yeah. think it's something that every uh, Christian organization should want to aspire to. I mean, the center of the whole thing all along was Jesus Christ. So if you're going to try to uh, reach out to people, having a campaign that's centered around his person, his character, his life is is to me the highest and best aspiration uh that you can you can try to achieve this is such um, and, I, and by the way this is not a small thing yeah you it's could, huge it's big you you know you because you could you could decide as many evangelicals have in the past particularly the more fundamentals variety to say that the center of our gospel is hell right you don't want to go to hell do you right so they could have run a campaign saying hey you're going to hell go to hell that could have been the name of the campaign go to hell.com right and uh, you, so this is, and this is, I mean, I, <clears throat> I have a ton of Christians in my life uh, who are of an evangelical stripe and they can't let go of this part of it, the, the message. They need to talk about hell. They are obsessed with talking about hell. And that's not good news. Uh, that's not gospel. The gospel is what Jesus did. 
And yeah. to go, regardless of what, you know, I don't want to get into a whole discussion about what whether hell's right or wrong or anything today. That's another episode for another time. But I'm going to say you can make a lot of different choices for how you're going to go about doing this. The choices they made, they're saying, is to make Jesus Christ's life and 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 person and role the center. The center of it, sure. And and what a, what a we need this message because for a long time, I feel at least part of my doneness is that that wasn't what was happening in church, that there, the center had fallen out of of the of the pie right mm -hmm. and uh they could have called this uh i'm still here yeah but he gets us is probably a good one too although i have my issues with that but the fact that there's a huge advertising campaign to offer uh, you know the good stuff let's just say it that way the positive message of jesus influence in the world and I've heard a couple of numbers. They said 100 million on the CNN uh, story just now. I've heard as much as a billion dollars. That's a B billion dollars mm -hmm. maybe thrown in at this. Yeah, I think that's a multi-year. This is a multi-year campaign that where they anticipate spending that much yep. money. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 and we we know they don't report it in this story, but we know that they before they went and started doing all this television advertising, uh, they they it was probably part of a capital campaign, but they took a lot of their initial dollars and spent it on YouTube to try to drive up uh, audience numbers. And we know this because part of how YouTube works and, and folks were obsessed with, you know, how many people are actually following us. Right um, there. We of course, we want to know that we got a lot of views for every episode, but it's it's, you know, the, the number that really kind of drives all of it is how many people are actually scheduled to be regular viewers. They want your content on a regular basis. And. So you're trying to build that and they didn't worry about building their audience number. They worried about increasing the views for each of these respective videos uh, because they were most interested in getting the message out and they were willing to pay the advertising dollars to do that. And I think they were anticipating they'd be able to cycle those advertising dollars up to a higher level where they'd be able to go into television. Well, is the television by uh, a separate decision then? Do we know this? We don't. We don't. Uh, there, there is an endowment that gets this ball rolling, but you've identified, I believe, that there are other funders to this. Yeah, I think the funders, CNN is going to mention some of these, but Hobby Lobby is behind it, uh, a thing called the Signatory Foundation, which is a, 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 fo a foundation that was stood up to do this job, and then a church called Servant Church. And um, I think they're all based in Oklahoma, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong if you're listening to this and they're not, but I think we've got that right. So this is a this is a close knit organization of people with a really good purpose that want to do something beautiful in the world. Do we know uh, who Jason Vanderground is? No, uh, there's been a couple of different spokespeople for it. And the, the interesting thing is when you go to the site and this is true more and more of, a, of different sites, I am turned off by this. I just want to be clear. I don't like this. They don't tell you a lot about who they are and how they got how they got to be who they are or how you can yes, contact them correct. or how you can have relationships with them and and so forth. And and maybe that's because they want Jesus to be the personality here. But I also tend to think that maybe there's some degree to which they really don't want to interact publicly too much. Like they're not interested in having it become about any of those people. And so, you know, every time somebody does anything, says anything. People read more into it anyway. They want to know what your motivations are. Why did you choose to bring this up? Okay. Uh, I've got uh, friends who are very hyper literalist. Like they, 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 you know, well, if I meant, I mean what I say, and I'm one of those people. So I kind of relate to them. I get where they're coming from, but I noticed the strong human tendency to be like, well, there must be something more to what you meant by that. There's some deeper meaning. 
You had some motivation. You didn't get up, just get up this morning. And just, well, yes, I did. In fact, sometimes I say things right off the, you know, right off the cuff, right? But they want to know like what's behind this. What is the mentality and focus? And that's where the CNN story is going to go. They've got yes. their own take on where, where this is all going. Main website is filled with phrases saying Jesus called out the toxic religious and political systems, led the protest against the walls that divide us, and broke the chains that held women in bondage. Merchandise declares Jesus was a refugee and an immigrant. At first blush, it can all read like a stand against radical right-wing politics and related divisiveness. But the campaign pointedly says this is not an attack on anyone. It is an outreach to young Americans whom polls show are abandoning Christianity and other faiths at a historic pace. A lot of times when people look at Christianity, they see it as much more uh, unfortunate, uh, hypocritical, judgmental, kind of discriminatory. Let me stop there for a second. Uh, there, a lot has gone by in that little tiny clip. Mm -hmm. there's, a, um, there's a nobility about this that I agree with. But the kind of people that they're after, I don't think, are the ones who are going to be resonant with this campaign. So they, they at least CNN claims that they're after the young people who are outside of church. Well, okay. <laughs> and then they talk about divisive issues like immigration. I think that they're they're pulling a little too hard on two opposite strings, you know, Jim, to, to make this work. But I kind of get where they're going. Are you getting that from these ads? I know we didn't want to get into content here, but I, CNN's leading us. So, yeah, my mind's kind of actually kind of flooding at the moment. Um, this is, the problem isn't that I don't know what, uh, that I don't have anything to say. It's that I don't know what I'm supposed to say first. Um, first off, I, I the, the way that the, C, the CNN worded what they had to say, they couldn't leave out adjectives. Um, I'm bothered by regime media that uses adjectives to describe things because is this staunchly conservative, right? Like we're going to get into that, I guess, here in a momentar momentarily. And second, I want you to notice that the frame uh, of this entire video uh, by CNN go is 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 built in the political conflict machine. And so, the most important thing that you need to know about this phenomena—they're talking about Jesus. What are their politics? Um, is that really the most important thing? In, in, in fact, in a discussion of Jesus, should it be the most important thing? And then I have to ask who's actually raising the question is, 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 so CNN is a political news channel and, and I, and by the way, more political, less news. Uh, they really are about kind of this conflict machine and who's up and who's down and who's getting the best of everything. And so they see maybe some secret conservative agenda at work here. And that's the angle that they've placed on this story because it fits very neatly in the frame in which they cover news as a conflict between two parties. So you can't simply say, we have a message that we want to get out about Jesus, and then that's it. No, well, wait a minute. I got to figure out what political team they're on before I know whether I like this or not. I mean, the messaging, well, the messaging looks suspiciously like my progressivism, but then I look to see who's funding it. <gasps> they're conservatives or vice versa. 
because you sent me a video as we got ready for the show that I don't want to get too deeply into because it has more to do with the actual content of these things, where it was exactly the opposite. It was a conservative critical of the fact that this wasn't literal enough Jesus that, oh my gosh, there are brown people in this video, right? And right. I, I'm... You know, Jesus looked didn't wasn't brown. He didn't look like this. You know, he had a nice Paul Maude hairdo like I've got. You know, that's that's that was kind of the video that that you sent me in in, in summation. And I I want to know why it couldn't just simply be the case that they want to make a statement about Jesus and his inclusiveness. And let's assume now let's assume that they are as they are part of a conservative coalition. They still do all the things that conservatives do that are off-putting to uh, millions of Americans. Let's assume that all those things are true. The fact that they're talking like this now, couldn't it be the reverse? Instead of putting out a message that is not consistent with their, what we believe their views are, that that message is coming back into their camp, that they are making the baby steps that we want to see them make in the right direction. Like, there's a lot of Republicans right now, more than ever. This this is this is an epic problem. We just did uh, three episodes. We've had related episodes. Where we've talked about population and immigration. Yes, yes. And there are conservatives that are obsessed with keeping people of a different color out. These ads feature people of color, and they are talking about refugees. They are talking about immigrants in positive tones as if they're Jesus. So you're going to say to me, well, they haven't completely come to Jesus you know, in the full sense, right? They haven't had their their Damascus Road conversion to the exact political views that I have. So I'm a little suspicious about what it is that they're after here. I'm going to say to you, you should actually be kind of A, hopeful that they've taken these, ste these steps in the direction and B, that um, it's possible that this message, by them paying for it, by them putting it out, it represents the beginning baby steps of moving in a direction where they're recognizing the inherent humanity, the imagery of the creator in human beings, that these are people Jesus gets. And if that's happening, why in the world, from a grace perspective, do we turn around and wonder why, how, well, what are they up to? I, it just, it doesn't seem like that's, I don't see anything on their website that suggests that they're up to anything, right? That doesn't mean they're not. And I'm not saying the question 100% shouldn't be asked, but I want you to notice it's CNN and this is their frame. Yes. Let's take CNN at their word, shall we? And I want to back it up if we can, because there were some things that went by really fast, and I want to pull those apart. So uh, if you're watching this, give us like six seconds here worth to revisit one of the important points in this video, because it, it supports what you're saying, Jim, and I think it's worth noting it one more time. Um, here we go. It can all read like a stand against radical right-wing politics and related divisiveness. Right. But the campaign pointedly says this is not an attack on anyone. It okay, so are we going to take them at their word? I, I'm, I'm saying that you should not necessarily trust anything. You should ask critical questions. And so for that standpoint, I would be glad for CNN to do a story like this. But I'm also suggesting at the same time that they couldn't get out of their own way they're making this entirely about politics. They're going to turn to someone next who is going to offer a decidedly political take that will explain their motivations. And this individual, you will be able to tell immediately, is not on the staff of this organization. She yeah. wouldn't belong to a typical evangelical church, right? She, she has reasons. You'll be able to see what I'm talking about right away. She has reasons to be suspicious based on a lot of other evangelicals' behavior. So I don't blame her for feeling this way. 
but CNN's given her a pulpit. And that pulpit is making this entirely about politics. And if the message is entirely about Jesus, if that really is their intent, well, then why aren't we talking about Jesus? I just want you to notice, none of the story is talking about Jesus. None of this story is examining the life of Jesus. None of this is saying, well, what could this do? Like there is no, they didn't cut to someone next and say, well, you know, Jesus was a refugee. I remember this story that they're telling, they're clearly alluding to, you know, the flight from Bethlehem. Um, you know, what was the significance of that? And how does that relate to our modern times? That discussion didn't happen on CNN because they're part of the conflict machine. Exactly. And to make the story, they have to create the conflict. It's the only mm -hmm. way that they can get a story out of it. Right. Okay, let's continue. It is an outreach to young Americans whom polls show are abandoning Christianity and other faiths at a historic right. pace. Factual. A lot of times when people look at Christianity, they see it as much more uh, unfortunate, uh, hypocritical, judgmental, kind of discriminatory. I think that guy Jason has something here because there is a perception and he's unafraid to say it. It's look, it can appear judgmental, discriminatory. And I want to, I want to stay with that for just a second here, because part of the background on this effort, which is good, not perfect. Right. And I agree with you about this. It's better to have something good than something perfect. At this point, we have to build this bridge. We have to start somewhere, but I'm not in a position to know whether the backers that throw the money at this have made any reasonable changes. But the facts are that Hobby Lobby is definitely not the inclusive organization that Jesus Church was. And that goes to things that are very political, like uh, women's reproductive rights and LGBTQ ordination and gay marriage. And these are hot button um, social issues, but they have become politicized and they have become politicized within the Protestant church, within the mainline denominations in a way that we simply can't ignore. So I, I don't know where this campaign is going to come down on that. They haven't been they haven't been open about that. They haven't said. I appreciate the fact that you raised this issue and that you said everything exactly the way you just said it. And I do that because um, this is a point at which, and it's a sticky point, we may differ a little bit and audience may divide and say, you know, I like Bill better. Um, and that's okay with me. Um, there is no such thing as women's reproductive rights in the context of the church. We all know what word you really mean when you say that. That's many syllables to indicate the right to get uh, the, the the right to get an abortion. And there are two things that can be said about one's approach to any issue. One is that I have a personal conscience right uh, where I don't even like to use the term right. Let's let's throw that aside. I have a personal conscience. Um, that permits me or helps me try to make sense of the world. And I develop a series of values and I have every right to hold the, any value that I wish any value. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And then there's the second level, which is where we start to talk about the state and whether or not I then, or, or even elements of culture where I have the ability to impose those views upon you. I have some method by which I can coerce you. And the state is the leading indicator that they always turn to, which is another reason it disturbs me that the discussion here is all about politics. Right, so right, yeah. We've covered abortion in previous episodes. We did this near the beginning of the, the launch of this program. Uh, episodes three and four, I believe. Uh, don't quote me, I'm doing that from memory. But it was very early in our, our history here as, at Grace Arkey. 
And we've also talking, uh, talked about population and the need for more children to be born. My position is, is and I, I need to articulate this and make this clear, I'm pro-life. I'm very pro-life. However, I don't believe that there is a role for the state in that question. And it is possible to walk that line where you believe one thing and you don't necessarily believe that that, uh, uh, that, that belief requires any kind of coercion. And in fact, I go further and believe that I want to have as much compassion for somebody who is confronting that decision, who has made that decision, who has to live with the uh, consequences of that decision. Yeah, I, I would want... call that the inclusive, compassionate position. Okay. So, uh, but but uh, women's reproductive rights isn't really a subject for Hobby Lobby. They may have taken a different position on where this goes politically, and I could kind of understand why they would have done it. The other issue then that you bring up, which is a little bit more difficult to, to, to parse out, is LGBT issues. And there has been a tremendous cultural transformation, even in the evangelical world on this question. True. And yes. I am sitting here as someone, full confession, who has been on that very same journey at the very same time. I have had, a, uh, I have talked about it here on this show before. I have had uh, uh, people that I know who are gay, so one, in one case was married, um, uh, that I by getting to know them, by having them in my life, by having them be tolerant of the fact that I was divergent and different from them, showed me uh, gradually that my views needed to be, uh, needed review. But I want to throw out that if I, even if I didn't arrive at that point, even if my position was, I don't believe that the government should have anything to say about that. If I don't believe that somebody should be ordained at my church because they do this, that's my right. And there should be a place for the people in society who think these things. And, and, and I don't necessarily think that that means that they're hateful. It is possible. It is truly possible that you could um, look at that very same situation. I don't agree with this view. I want to be clear. But you could look at this very same situation and you could say to yourself, I think this is not good behavior. I think this is going to tend to be destructive or harmful to the people who engage in it. I feel compassion for them. I don't want to do anything that encourages this. I would prefer to be in the camp that discourages it. Now, we've talked about the complicated issues involving shame and how that tends to be counter to grace here in the show, how that's not a, an approach that works. Um, but you know that we're sitting here asking questions about whether or not they've really changed their political views or whether or not they've really even changed their religious views, and are they going to be more inclusive by the definitions that, that are the standard political definitions of the secular left uh, here in the United States, and the Democratic Party in particular. And, and that is not necessarily the job of any given local church uh, to do that. So I've said a lot here to essentially say this. You, it is possible. There's a lot of different ways to slice human beings. I mean, you could almost need, you almost should have even for believers, uh, you know, some kind of long set of acronym type thing of LGBTQ plus, right? That there probably is just, there's probably just as many different varieties of Christians here in terms of how they slice up this issue. And everyone is on their own journey at their own time. And I'm grateful to the people along the way who have helped me on my journey to see some of these issues more clearly. And I would say, frankly, in a more Jesus-like way. Your answer is really moving to me, Jim. Thank you. 
that attitude is so important in any organization on whatever issue. And I, and I believe, as I know that you do, that coming to an issue with grace is the way that it transforms. And it may not be a bang flash of light transformation. It might take time. But that's just exactly right. To, you know, have the conversation, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, there's some things I did and here where I stepped out on some ledges and said some things, right? You're not supposed to be approving of something you disagree with. This is it, the rest of the world is anti-grace. Okay. And I'm literally saying, no, look at someone who's not where you are yet with some, some degree of, of, of compassion. And then even more importantly, some degree of curiosity. Because, Bill, it's possible that even as you're busy being compassionate, what you really are being is prideful because you were wrong. And yeah. you're going to need to modify and change your perspective. And I don't care who you are and what view you hold, okay? We're all on some kind of journey. And, and you, you, the odds of you being wrong on any given question are astronomically high. And fortunately, we don't get struck with a you know, lightning bolt every time we say something stupid. Right. But that's essentially what people wish would happen. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. And it isn't solved by punishment. It isn't solved by damage and destruction. It's solved by this grace, this ability to kind of reach out and understand. So I want to stand up in the public square and I want to say the thing that's going to necessarily get me crucified. Right. I want to say the thing that's wrong, that's going to hurt people's ears because, wait a minute, what I'm really saying here is we have to have grace. And that includes grace matters for the one that we most want to stone at the moment. And people who were in a position where they were being stoned by believers before, metaphorically speaking, should get this better than anybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, personal experience on this, LGBTQ family members, whether or not these ads speak to that particular audience, isn't it enough that there's, they're offering a, a potential here, just a potential. We, mm -hmm. we we call it on Grace Heart. We call it the lemonade cure, right? So anybody who wants to stop and have a glass of lemonade is well. Yeah, let's have some lemonade together. Let's talk. Right? What's your deal, let's man? Talk. Yeah. What's your deal? That he gets us is funded by anonymous donors acting through a Kansas nonprofit linked to staunchly conservative causes, and it raises alarms for some skeptics. I, okay. Just I, I just this I, I jumped ahead. This is something I've been waiting for this whole show. There it is. There's the adjectives just blown up on the screen, right? And it's said in the most sinister way. The donors are anonymous. They are staunchly conservative. They are listen, of course, you know, donors can be conservative, liberal, whatever, but is that the most again, is that the most important point? And this anonymity, anonymity means that they donated to a nonprofit organization. So if you've donated less than, uh, I think it's $5,000 to a typical nonprofit organization. This is my experience with my organization. Your name's not put on any kind of list. And even if you do give $5,000, if you give to a nonprofit organization, only people that, the only persons that have that list are the IRS. And if you happen to be in New York or the state of California, your state attorney general's office. Those are the only places that actually have that list. Those names are not published. Those are a secret. Okay. And they're a secret so that everybody can give to the cause they want. And there's been times in our history where giving to a particular cause could have gotten you murdered, could have cost you your job. 
And so we protect the anonymity of these donors. That's how these organizations work. We want these organizations to be able to raise money. Now, that means that some organizations that you might want to know a little more detail about, they don't have that information. But I bet if we spent a long enough time together, we'd find some organizations you do like who are taking advantage of this very same provision of the law, and you would want them to have that access. And so how do you cut that? You just basically make it that everybody's able to give without any uh, fear of, of retribution uh, to that organization. There will be parties that will get uh, uh, acknowledged in various capital campaigns, and people will seek that acknowledgement and want their name out there. Um, there will be times when large checks are cut and press conferences are even called, and they gather that information. But Tom Foreman is being fundamentally dishonest here when he suggests that they are anonymous in sinister tones. It's just the way it always works. Every charity he's ever covered in his entire career, the donors were anonymous. And I bet if we went back, I could guarantee you if we went back and looked at the various other stories that he and CNN have covered, there have been numerous times where the organization isn't as sinister in their view, and they've never, ever called the donors anonymous. Such as Chrissy Stroop, a former evangelical who now reports on religion. I believe that He Gets Us campaign is a uh, PR effort and, and website uh, strategically developed by right-wing evangelicals to uh, rope people in with inclusive sounding messaging and get them plugged into local churches that will uh, eventually teach them that to be a Christian means to support right-wing politics. I think being a Christian comes first and your politics about it are something yeah we can go ahead and minimize that too right? by the way yeah hang on it's taking a while there we go there we go i i i don't know so i just let me flip flip-flop a bit on you here because i think we just like i don't have a problem with chrissy raising the issue she raises right no it makes sense and i understand the history that leads up to the moment of thinking that like i get that too right i i, I were I her, I would have the same suspicions too. Well, they're legit, right? In our world today, given the fact that we've just been through uh, a hell of a time where politics and religion seem to be aligning around conservative values and Christianity, and that is America's religion, uh, we need this perspective. We need somebody to say, okay, well, wait a minute, let's think of it a different way. Okay, so I, I, I recoil because I don't think it is uh, America's religion. I think there's a lot of professing Christians in this country. Uh, but you know, there's, there's a, I think we, we serve another, another God in this country and that's mammon. Okay. And I think the reason we put God on our dollar is, is done in kind of a, as the Supreme court said, it was done in a ceremonial deist approach, right? It is the God of the country, right? So when we say God bless America, that's not the, the name that's avoided. The name that is not uttered is Jesus. And that's not there's no accident to the fact that that's, you know, kind of generically the God of the country. But I would actually argue that the God of this country is probably mammon. It's probably money. And, and Jesus explicitly said that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. So um, I, I just, I, I, <laughs> I want to go back to Chrissy though for a moment, because something jumps sure, out yeah. at me right away. And that is that Chrissy's trans. And so Chrissy has a history or an experience because Chrissy also announced that Chrissy was formerly evangelical. Yes. So there's got two former states in Chrissy's life and has transitioned because every one of us, again, is on a journey and has reasons to be suspicious of where it is that she left. And I get that. 
But what ends up happening at the end of that segment now is that we're left with this impression that this is really sneaky marketing. And I'm, again, going to assume that it is. Let's assume that it's exactly what Chrissy said it was. How can the fact that the organization is putting that message out there not come back in to them? How can it not be transformative of them? I had a moment where I made a really large shift in a personal view on something. I've made changed my mind about a lot of things over the course of my life because I've gone and looked at evidence and realized, oh boy, I'm wrong. So I took that, and that'll be a clip. Somebody will make a clip of that at some point. Oh boy, I'm wrong. They're going to make a clip of that. Um, it's already happening. It's on Twitter right now. Yeah, I just saw it. it's on Twitter at this moment. Yeah, it's, uh, and the moment I realized it is when it came out of my mouth. I was in a conversation with a friend and I said, this is the this is where I think I'm at right now. And then it dawned on me. I just said that this is where I'm at right now. I guess that's where I'm at right now. And I, I didn't have pre-conscious. This was an expression that came out of my subconscious. I, I did not sit down and, and plan in an agenda style that this was, that I had changed my mind. There was, the process was that messy that it literally got blurted out. And then I was like, oh, I guess I'm not on the same team anymore on this issue. So That's I, what I think, happens, though, right? well, I just, except at CNN, except at CNN, where this has to absolutely be about politics. Yeah, I see your point. They haven't got a story unless they can put conflict on it. The only way they can get there is through politics. That's their lens. Yes. And it's, it's not a, it's not a bad one. It's, it's not the same lens of, if you were to turn the camera on, it's not the same lens that he gets us is offering to the rest of the world. Right. So here's the, the, the place I would like to, to the thing that inspires me about these ads. Let me just say it that way. Okay. I'm actually pro these ads. They're not good theology. I'm not asking anybody to take this. Don't stop reading your Bible and watch these ads. That's not how this works. Okay. But I do think they are saying some important things in an important time when church attendance is declining, and it should be. I'm not, you and I, I've been open here on this show. I think it should be gone. Like, I, I just, most churches are, are, are not doing, they've got, they've got their own program going on. It's not really about Jesus. And I say that broadly, and I, you know, expect to get attacked on it. We're going to address what what the role of the church is and what it's supposed to do in future episodes. It's very much on my mind. It's something I want to get to. But I'm I'm inspired as I look at these verses. The verses I think about are Matthew 25, 31 to 46. I don't know how long this would take me to read. Do you think I should indulge it and read it? Yeah, yeah, go I for it. Summarize it. Should go I just it. summarize it? When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And that's what I see when I watch these verses. But let me continue because it has a flip side. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. Clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in person and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of one of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to punishment, but the righteous to life. And I read that. And it's interesting because the view that I was raised with, the evangelical approach that's probably sponsoring this very these very set of ads, was that I just had to say a simple prayer of admission of a sinner and that I agreed that Jesus was God and I didn't want to go to hell and that I would be saved. And that never was once anything Jesus ever, ever, ever suggested or said. Never said it. That's You can't structure or build a, a theology off of the red-letter words that comes out to that. These are actual red letter words in the Bible from Jesus Christ saying that when you do the, when you do to the least, you're doing it for me. When you don't do to the least, you ignored me. Those ads are put together in a way where they are for the least. And we're being told he gets us. 